The Waddle and Sylvie podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up using promo code WMVP at sportsbook.draftkings.com. You're listening to Waddle and Sylvie, live from the Old National Bank State Street Studio. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago, the new home of the Chicago Bears. WMVP, WSHE, HD2, Chicago. A good karma brand's radio station. Busy day today in the city of Chicago, a a very baseball-like day. Baseball weather outside today, 70 degrees at least when I got here. Um, And uh, the baseball is probably bigger today than the Bears story, and that's kind of because the Bears are sort of... They are who we thought they were. Well, I I actually thought they'd be better. Not after, like, the first couple of weeks. Right, right, right. I mean, come but on. it depends on what. It depends on when they are who we thought they were. When are we going by that? Like before the year started, I didn't think they'd be a two-win team. At this point, no way, no how. I thought right after the Packers came to town with a, the youngest team in football and a quarterback that has turned out to be inaccurate to say the least, that that kick in the nuts was one that should have put us on guard. I'm trying to think. That, to me, is still the the most difficult loss to digest of all of them. Yeah, it's tough. I don't care about Denver. You keep it. Yeah. I think it's Denver. I think Denver, to me, me. is when it's like, this could be a catastrophic year. Not when the Packers come down. It's going to be different this time. This is our biggest rival, and they come down and Timberland, you write in a nutsack for 60 minutes after you were supposed it to take depressing. charge of the situation. But a two win, two in, two in what now? Two in two seven? seven? Two in seven? Yeah. Ah. We are who we thought we would ah. be after the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Spin that in the right direction on Thursday. Yeah, I'm just, just ready trying for to the breathe through Carolina it right Panthers there. coming to town. And then, uh, so there's the Al ba- Michaels is going to be thrilled with this call. We're trying to get Al on the booth on Thursday. We'll see I if we can do I don't think he's going to be there. No, you don't think so? I think so. He's going to call sick? Yes. Calling sick? Wouldn't you if you were Al? Who's the backup crew? Fitzy will be don't calling know. your play-by-play all of a sudden. Fitzmagic. Fitzmagic. And then uh, the Cubs news. I was pulling into the... A parking garage right outside here on State Lake. And Jesse had texted uh, Carmen and me saying, hey, this council stuff is interesting. He's going to a team that already has a manager. I just can't. I, How I, did he I, have that note? He, he, he Because he's working his stuff. Yes. I'm gonna, his, we've got him stuff. on hold here. And... Um, and and then he, we were trying to, and I I didn't know that the Mets were not were out of it now, and um, he said it's not the Mets. Maybe he was thinking Toronto, maybe the Cubs. And then Carm got silly and thought it was his White Sox, and Jesse had to <laughs> kick him in the balls. And then uh, the breaking news sounder sounded right when I got into the parking spot, and I heard Abdallah say the Cubs, and my heart just dropped, but out of excitement. Like, uh, my brain was going a million miles an hour. They fired David Ross. They hired Craig Council. What a bold move. This is pretty incredible. And um, Jesse Rogers joins us from the baseball meetings right now. And uh, this was was a bombshell, Jesse. Uh, Tell us how it all went down. Yeah, it, it was a shocker. It really was. 
And it, it's obviously something that the Cubs were thinking about since the season ended. Now, look, Cubs have not spoken publicly yet. Craig Council hasn't spoken publicly. And, and the thing is, when something like this happens, you usually can get some insight. But it's been, you know, just a few minutes since, since it all went down. And the Cubs are actually on their way here, I assume, and I'm pretty sure I have this right, they were in Florida to personally tell David Ross he's relieved of his duties. It's the same exact thing they had to do with Ricky Renteria. Theo made Jed fly to San Diego and tell Renteria, you've been fired, we're hiring Joe Madden. So they did the same thing here with David Ross down in Florida. They're flying up here, so we haven't been able to get any real insight into it. But it's certainly the, uh, something that publicly, in a sense, came together on uh, starting November 1st, meaning that's the first time they talked to council's representatives was on November 1st. And I talked to, the, uh, to that person, they were pretty shocked that they got that call. Because until November 1st, he was under contract with the Brewers, and you needed to ask permission of Milwaukee. Milwaukee Brewers would have denied the Cubs. Now, they said yes to the Mets outside the division, all that stuff. They said yes to the Guardians, other league, to interview him. But come November 1st, he was available to everybody. And so the call went out, and they locked him up. Now, the stunning thing to me, honestly, is actually the payday. $40 million for five years. Eight million a year for this manager it tells you how desperately the cubs wanted him we don't know if it's a big knock against david ross or if this is just joe madden all over again meaning we're going out and getting the best in the business because that's worth something to us and in talking to people around the league and even people here at the meetings the big thing that comes up is with the three wild card system and just using arizona as an example how much is that manager worth and if he can sneak you into the playoffs that many more times, that's worth it. And on top of that, it removes any doubt, any doubt within the fan base, within the locker room, within anything that this guy is as good as anybody we're going to bring in. There are no holes to his game as a manager. It doesn't mean he doesn't make mistakes, but there are no holes. And even supporters like myself of David Ross would say there were holes to his game as a manager. So this removes any doubt in the clubhouse, any doubt outside the clubhouse, they went out and got the best, which means you would have to think the Cubs are really interested in winning in a big way. But even if they're sort of building in like they are now, they have a manager that can get them that many more wins and maybe into the playoffs that many Just more times. elaborate on that for me. Uh, what do you believe makes Craig Council a better manager than David Ross specifically? Yeah, so I would say, you know, it's such a sort of um, ambiguous type of thing, right, managing. But, but it comes down to all those little things in-game He's as good as it comes. Doesn't mean he doesn't make mistakes, but he's, he's damn good. He knows exactly how to work a bullpen as well as anybody I've been around. All the communication skills that certainly Ross had, Madden had, other good men, he's as good as it, ca- it gets within that realm as well, the, the behind-closed-door meetings. In the bigger sense, just collectively getting the most out of a team. And, again, that's an ambiguous thing, but we sort of all know it when we see it. He's, he has the ability to do all those things, and he did it, in a market with a, with a very low payroll. It kind of reminds me of Andrew Friedman's move from Tampa to L.A. He took all those small market skills and applied them to a big market, and it's worked pretty well. Now Council can take all those skills that got the best out of a low payroll team and can take it to a bigger payroll, and I would assume it's going to work well as, as well. I also um, speculated, Jesse. It's just a guess. It's not knowing, but... What frustrated me as a Cubs fan was Ross's dependency on the veterans when the veterans weren't productive and the lack of playing the youngsters 
uh, in a um, rebuilding year that then developed, like Morrell. Very hesitant to play morale early on. And then when he would slump, he would ride the bench for long periods of time instead of giving, like, he let Ian Happ hit his way out of slumps. He let uh, veterans hit. Dansby Swanson would slump big time, let him hit out of it. But the young guys would not let hit out of it, even though they had a high ceiling. And and mm-hmm. some, some guys, like you told, uh, like, we had conversations. Canario would be called up. To ride the bench. That can't be what the front office had in mind when they would call a player up like that. Um, uh, so, uh, and I don't know if it was Canario. I'm trying to think. Who, who was the player that they called up late in the year? No, it was Canario. Oh, Canario, yeah. Canario. Yeah, so yeah, Canario. He wrote, he so, wrote the yeah, bench. Yeah, yeah. So, so, like, that's what I speculate. Like, why, like, to me it was also he didn't want to en- uh, enable the youngsters like Joe Madden did. That was something that he did very well. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. That that the the sort of um, style of managing that that emerged with David was to rely more on the veterans and and I'm not sure he was great even communicating with all those young guys at times. But um, but we could again we could find holes in most managers' games. I just think they're going to say when they talk publicly, we went out and got the best in the game. Simple as that. We are. better today than yesterday in going out and getting Craig Council. And I just think that payday is very telling. It's very telling. It's almost shocking. And it actually puts me back into the Otani sort of thinking that I've always thought they're going to be aggressive. Uh, But I think they're going to be in it. I really do. It's just a matter of will they overextend themselves. They just did it with a manager, in a sense, because this just doesn't scream Hoyer and Ricketts, the idea of paying Bruce Bochy's making four and a half million guys. Four and a half million. They just hired Craig Council for eight million a year. It is absolutely stunning and it I think telling of what they want to do. Does it also tell you, Jesse, that Council's is satisfied that they are going to spend their resources? Because he could have had another job where they actually have been doing that in, in recent times. Hey, yeah, you know, I don't know about that because look, I think I don't think he needed to be told. I think he saw when the Cubs are sort of relevant, they spend, when they've rebuilt this team, they started to spend last year $177 million on a shortstop. Like, they spent the first time around, they're spending enough this time around, and they're spending more than Milwaukee ever will. So I'm not sure he needed to be convinced of that. I think it's the payday and a chance to be near home. I think it's as simple as that. Um, it could be more complicated not going with David Stearns to New York. There might be some other things involved there. Um, just it's as simple as that payday. First and foremost, and, and, it, and certainly the challenge of managing a team with a payroll, like the ceiling seemed to be kind of low in Milwaukee, you know, he, and he did the best he could. Now, now it's sky high with the Cubs. Yeah, but Jess, so, if the Cubs were going to pay $40 million over five years, don't you believe the Mets would have made a similar offer? Yeah, I do, but I think being closer to home was, was huge. He's a okay. Midwest guy. And there may, like I said, there may have been some other things involved. Maybe Stearns didn't want to be tied to council again. Like there's just some some things there that have not been reported out yet that I'm not sure of. But I, I would imagine, um, right? Yeah, the payroll is going to be higher in New York than here. Mm-hmm. But I think the Cubs are probably closer to winning. The, the Mets seem to be taking. They're probably going to trade Alonso. So that's more of a, a, a retool situation where the Cubs could own this division. We know if they make the right moves. I just think this removes any doubt. This, this, this checks off a box. They don't have to worry about the manager for five years. Now move on to other things. But it does tell you how important they think that position is and how good they think he's at, he's at his job. And I think he's, he's that good as well.
before uh, we move to a couple of topics with free agency, and I also want to get to the White Sox, uh, anything more you want to add on the managerial move? Well, I, I think that with counsel here, um, that you're going to see an uptick in, in all areas on the Cubs, meaning development, all these little things that you sort of take for granted. This is where counsel excels, just just taking care of the little things in an organization. And, you know, uh, we talk about, you know, GMs make the lineup. Well, this is there's great counsel. I will say this didn't come here just to be a GM flacky, right? Not that Ross was, but we know there are certain managers that just do do their bidding. He's going to be involved in every everything from a very specific level all the way to the big picture. And I give credit to Jen and Tom. They are handing the keys over to someone that's going to have equal power, so to speak, and, and be the face of this franchise. So I just think that's very interesting because it's something I did not expect out of Tom and Jed. Yeah. Uh, and then the Stroman news over the weekend was interesting. I could have swore that he was going to opt in. Um, that's a big number to turn down, especially after uh, some of the uncertainty at the end of the year. I think this is good if you're a Cubs fan because it gives them more spending for this year. It That's another $21 million, Jesse, off of this year's payroll now. So if they want to add a mega contract, it gives them even more room to do so. Yeah, and I think it was interesting, the timing of Kyle Hendricks' news the next day. Like, I think the Cubs needed to know on Stroman. If Stroman opted in, there's a chance Hendricks isn't back. I'm not sure they wanted to pay both those guys close to $40 million. So, yeah, I think they were pleasantly surprised he did this. I wasn't completely shocked because you can always get more security. You know, you can, he can get two years and $30 million, which is more than one year at $21 million, right? It's just not more per year. So I'm not completely shocked. Um, there's always a suitor out there, three years and $35 million for him. He, I mean, I'm sure he wants a lot more than that, to be honest. I'm just saying he could get the minimum, uh, you know, more than, than the one-year $21 million he was getting. So I wasn't completely shocked. It brought Hendricks back. It sealed the deal there. And, yes, I agree. Hayward's off the books. Stroman's off the books. I still don't think Bellinger's back, but I do think they're going to make that play for Otani. Said this over the weekend. I think they just need to feel some interest on Otani's side. They have to feel some mutual interest. I, I even think that, you know, if they get Otani, it may not be with the biggest bid, right? If it's $500 million or four seventy, what what's the difference, right? It's, it's got to come down to some, some comfortability factor and the fact that Otani wants to be here. They're not the type to outbid everyone, even though they kind of just did it. Um, so there has to be some mutual interest. And, boy, will they need him if Bellinger goes. And I think Bellinger is going to go. What, what is the rest mm. of the Major League Baseball universe saying about where Otani is most likely to land? Is there a lot of, is there a lot of yeah. feeling, Jess, like you, that the Cubs are going to be a true, a true player in this? Yes, but they still put the Dodgers and now the Rangers ahead of them. And maybe even, look, San Francisco has a ton of money to spend, a ton. So that's where the mutual interest has to come. If you play ball a little bit, a little bit. It's not like he has to take a deal for $200 million. He's got to play ball a little bit. But Texas and L.A. Are the, are, are the teams people talk about, along with the fact that San Francisco has a lot of money. But I will tell you, it's just so interesting how the world works. You know, San Francisco is not the appealing city it used to be team maybe but not to say like people are you know it's things have gone south since, since the pandemic there it's not the most attractive place for players and that's why last year like you know maybe Aaron Judge and Carlos Cor- they were using them a little bit or you have to really overpay and maybe they will for a guy like Otani but who knows if he wants to go there so Texas is kind of the model organization down there Houston 
you know, some of those teams. But Texas has a ton of money, especially after the World Series. Seattle's a sleeper. But the Cubs have to be in the mix. I know they'll be in the mix. I know they'll be in the mix. It just depends how far they will go and is there mutual interest. Jesse Rogers joining us. He's brought to you by your local Chicagoland Toyota dealers. Toyota, let's go places. Um, you, you, you've mentioned Bellinger a couple of times. Why are you and others dismissing the Cubs with Bellinger? What is it that they don't like about him to bring him back? Well, I, I don't know this for sure, but it, it, it's certainly possible that they feel like it's a, it, it was a one-year thing and to lock him up for seven, eight years is not going to be the smartest of moves. They've never done a multi-year deal with a Boris client. This is, after Otani, the best hitter, left, let alone left-handed hitter on the market. I've told you before how desperate Toronto and certainly the Yankees are for left-handed hitting. They just, I think, feel like the number is going to go too high. I'll go back to what I said about mutual interest. Yes, if he really likes the Cubs and he will direct Forrest towards the Cubs, then a normal-looking large contract might be in the offing. I don't think they want to go seven years and 210 or more. I think they do like five years and you know, close to 200 or, or not even that, 150, 175 with opt-outs. Like some normal big contract, not a Boris bloated contract. So, again, history tells me that Look, it'll probably happen someday about signing a multi-year deal with a Boris client. I just don't think this is the one because other teams will push that number a little bit too high. Where Otani is a different, he's the exception to any rule about overpaying. He you know, enhances your brand and all these things. You can't compare Otani to others. So overextending on him makes more sense, I think, to the Cubs than it would with Bellinger. If I give you these three choices, what do you think is most realistic to happen for the Cubs this offseason? Signing Otani... Trading for Soto or trading for Alonzo? Okay, I'd put Soto third. I would put Soto third. I'd probably put Otani second and Alonzo first. Yes, I would go in that order. Not 100% confident on any of them because, you know, who knows? There's 28, 29 other teams interested in these guys. But, but if you ask me to put them in order, I'd say Alonzo one, Otani two, and Soto a distant third. I don't think they're trading for Soto. You don't? Even no, with all I those don't. rumors out there. Because for Soto, it becomes, again, if you're signing him, it's the massive $300 million deal. I, again, Otani's a separate category. I don't think the Cubs are in, have the appetite for paying a guy into his 40s or close to it. He's 26-27. That's the massive record-breaking deal Boris wants. Alonzo is going to be just your normal huge deal. Again, it's a Boris client, so you have to – break through that wall of never signing one. But I just think it's a normal, I've heard things that he wants to play in Chicago if he gets moved. Uh, I think Soto's the record-breaking kind of guy, where Alonzo's just your normal big-money guy. That's why I put him ahead. Okay. To the south side, where the excitement level isn't quite what it is on the north side right now, Jess, um, put into words, the describe to us what happened with Tim Anderson and the Chicago White Sox over the course of the last year plus. Yeah, well, uh, the year plus, I can't necessarily ne- uh, give you an, a reason why, other than his off-the-field problems probably contributed to on-the-field issues, very public off-the-field issues with his family. Um, and so I feel like there was a correlation, but nobody can get inside his head. He just literally had the worst year I've probably ever seen of a shortstop in Chicago, offensively and defensively. I mean, you can't have your shortstop playing like that, right? It just it, That position's too important. So he played terribly, and that probably made the decision a little bit easier for Chris Getz. Now, I ran into Chris Getz. It's really the first time 
I've talked to him one on one here at the GM, and he, like since he took took over the job, and he kind of you know he wasn't giving me every detail, but he basically said we needed a reset, and it feels like Tim Anderson needs a reset as well. Um, he said all the right things about yeah we could revisit with him later in the off season, blah blah blah. But they always say that it's rare that a guy becomes a free agent and returns. Not impossible, but very rare. So that reset kind of makes sense to me. They need a reset at a very important position. I have no idea if Colson Montgomery is going to take over on day one or they'll have a stopgap. Um, I really think Tim Anderson will reemerge at second base somewhere. Um, maybe, maybe not right away, but at some point very soon he's going to be a second baseman. I can't see him recapturing the glory at shortstop as he gets older. He was never a great one. He had a great season or two defensively. Last year was abysmal. So, the idea of him moving over to second for the White Sox just seemed weird. I think he just starts anew somewhere else as a second baseman, although maybe his agents are going to push him still as a shortstop. You get paid more there. Um, so, yeah, I get the reset. I understood what, he, what gets meant. I think we all do. Just maybe it, it, it just ran its course. I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised just because they have so many things to do. They could just check that box off by bringing him back. But maybe they want to save that money and use it elsewhere. It's not like a high payroll team in the first place. So I was a little surprised, but then talking to Getz, I sort of get the reset thing of it. Jesse, I've always made it clear that I'm a big believer in, in do, doing the correct process. And if you get things wrong while you follow the process, it's fine. Um, but, but just run the process. And the White Sox didn't. They wanted to just hire Chris Getz immediately without doing an interview process. Um, they didn't even want to just make him interim and then see what happens in the offseason. Do you believe that Jerry Reinsdorf um, would admit that maybe he would like a do-over considering that Kim Ng became available in the offseason? Yeah, I wish I had a chance to ask Jerry that today. He was lunching with Getz, the two of them together, for about an hour in, in, in where, you know, where they serve lunch here at the, at the hotel, and I did not get a chance to really um, – get to jerry with all this cubs news um i'm gonna say no because look there's plenty of good executives out there it's not just kim ing now i know he knows her and jerry tends to, to hire people he knows but it would still it would go against everything he said when he hired Getz in the sense that kim would have to learn the organization from top to bottom that was his overriding factor at that press conference Getz knows the organization Getz has been in my ear for better or worse right um so i'm gonna say no i don't think he would have done a do-over just for kim ing it's plenty of good former GMs out there that were available. He went with the guy that knows that knows the organization, and Jerry knows best, and that's Chris Getz. All right, anything else, Jess? No, we're just getting going. I don't expect uh, much at all here other than what we just heard, um, but I do think we're going to start to hear trades start to percolate. Soto, Alonzo, a few others, and the final thought on free agents is keep an eye on the Japanese pitchers. Um, one of the agents just walked in for, uh, from the top one, Yamamoto, um, he's uh, Suzuki's agent, so you don't know where the tie is. But uh, there's another one in Managa. There's a bunch of great Japanese pitchers that are coming over, one of better classes. If I were to make a free agent prediction above Bellinger, above Otani, and I'm not saying it's for sure, but this would be a, just compared to those other names, I think the Cubs sign one of those Japanese pitchers. Yeah. I really do. Um, that would be number one on my list. They, they need one more good pitcher, along with the up-and-coming ones, along with returning Hendricks and Steele. You sign one jet, one of those Japanese pitchers, I think is huge. You have to find some left-handed hitting, um, and that would be at Otani. Certainly, I, again, I'm not saying no to Bellinger. I just think he'd have to play ball with them, and that's not usually how Boris works. Um, so that none of that's going to happen anytime soon. But I do think trades will start to percolate 
see that happen in, you know, shorter order than free agents. That's going to happen more at the winter meetings, more than likely with Otani and others. Oh, final, final. You're in Arizona, right? Yeah. Do you yeah, pack yeah. a swimsuit when you go? Mm. Uh, I do, but I never use it. Really? Because the, the idea of laying by the pool for one afternoon is awesome. And then the Cubs fire David Ross, and it changes yeah. everything. So I always pack it, but I never use it. What, right. ho- what hotel are you at? Um, I, well, I, I, the, the don't do it, Jess. I love you too oh, much. Come don't on. do it. Why would you no. do that? Because I, I, you know what? For somebody else, maybe. But Jesse, uh-uh. Jesse's my guy. So I'm not going to allow somebody to do that. Come on. He so, was trying so, to get your info so that he could prank you. No, that but thing, I'm at, the meetings are at the Omni in Scottsdale. It's one of the first times I haven't stayed where the meetings are. 6.50 a night. Woo! And ESPN, the ESPN said, Courtyard Marriott. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, well, there you go. There you and go. now you know. There you go. Jesse just gave you, he just, he's let you in on where he's at. After all that, After he's all that, still trying to protect you. I try to protect uh, you. Come on, I'm, smart. I'm smarter than that. I'm not at the courtyard. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm call at 6 yeah. o'clock, 6.05, I'm calling there. Yes. On my kids, I'm not at the courtyard. On my kids, I swear to God. I wouldn't do that. I'm not stupid enough. Get those calls in the middle of the night from, from uh, Shane Norling or someone, yeah. forget it. Shay's not calling you. They're not talking baseball. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Shay's not calling me. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Jesse. Thanks, Thanks Jesse. All right, boys. You're the best. Talk All right. You. There's Jesse Love Rogers. Jesse. Good stuff. I'm trying to protect Jesse. Three one, vultures. 312-332-3776. The Cubs fired David Ross, and they do hire uh, Craig Council. And then what are they going to do in free agency? The good, the bad, the dirty, a lot on the Bears. It's all coming up next. Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. This is Waddle and Sylvie on Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. The good. It's gone! Oh my God! The bad. That is so bad, that is absolutely brutal. And the dirty. I'm talking about nasty. Wow. So many stories are running through my head right now. Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN Chicago. It's our recap of the sports weekend, or maybe even going into Monday. Because there was uh, interesting news today with David Ross getting fired. Some may consider that dirty or uh, something good with the uh, hiring of Craig Council. The Good, the Bad, the Dirty is brought to you by Finishing Chicago. We'll go around the room. One thing good, one thing bad, one thing dirty. We got the full crew back. It's good to have Tyler and Maller together. Welcome back. And uh, Waddle, why don't you kick us off? Uh, there, I thought there was a lot of good stories yesterday in the NFL, uh, but none better for me than the story of Josh Dobbs. Josh Dobbs yesterday took over the Vikings offense uh, with really no knowledge of the Vikings offense and no experience with any of them and went 20 of 30 for 158 yards, so not a ton of yardage, but two touchdowns, no interceptions, and had seven carries for 66 yards and one touchdown. They showed a picture of him when their quarter, I think it was whatever the quarterback's name, the rookie. Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall went out. He's on the sidelines getting used to the center's the snap, and he's actually calling the cadence with all of his offensive linemen standing around him. Because I think he got there. When, I mean, when did he get there? He got there on like Wednesday. Tuesday. They traded yeah. for him on Tuesday. He right. got there Wednesday. So he had no idea what the offense was, and these guys had no work with him, so they had to hear his snap count before on the sideline before they went out there. It was just a cool story. I believe I heard Carm or somebody say 
that since like week 15 of last year, he's been on five different teams. Yeah, it's crazy. And what he did in Atlanta, helping the Vikings get past the Falcons, was just a really cool story. And I, I did think you Kevin O'Connell was also kind of talking to him through his helmet and describing what the play was supposed to be. Not just the call, but what was supposed to happen with it. They've, they've rallied. It's, yeah. it's amazing what they are now. Um, and he was talking about how he doesn't know a lot of guys' last names. Right. He, like, knows their first names and nicknames and doesn't yeah. know. He says this week he's focusing on learning his teammates' names. I, listen, I thought what the job he did in Arizona, thought he was admirable, what he was yeah. doing out there. Solid, you know, performance by a backup quarterback in a tough situation. But to come into that game with not knowing the offense or anybody in your offense, a huddle, Tip of the cap to Josh Dobbs. I had a Sylvie, you're great so, day. you're so right. I was laughing because they were showing a post-game comment from him, and he was like, yeah, I was talking to Alex and Jordan. Right. And I don't know if he knows their names were Madison and uh, Addison. Yeah. Right. And Jordan Addison said the first catch he ca- caught from him in the game yesterday was the first, caught he's, uh, first uh, ball he's ever caught from him. He never even had a warm-up toss it's from crazy. Josh Dobbs. And then if you want to see a cool video, uh, him walking into the locker room, and um, they they say let let him hear it when he comes into the locker room because he was late. I don't know if he was doing an interview or something, but uh, he came in and they they gave him a hero's welcome. Pretty pretty great Very story. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's cool. what sports is about. Um, we've talked about it all day. I love the Craig Council move. Um, I hate that Ross got fired, uh, but this is sports. It's a business. He was greatly compensated. Um, he had a great run in Chicago. I like the fact that they hired the guy who was best out there for them. And he was the biggest managerial free agent since, of course, Joe Madden. And hopefully it signifies that they will continue to spend now on players as well. And they're going to be going for it. So I know some people have picked apart his playoff record. I believe it's 7-11. I like that Craig Council is... My Cubs manager, my favorite baseball team's manager. I think it's a bold move. Uh, I think far too many teams get satisfied, and I think the Cubs, um, the Cubs made the right call in this this regard. And we'll talk more about it. But that's my good. The AFC North is good, boys. Right now, if the NFL playoffs began, every single one of the four teams in the AFC North would be in the playoffs, and the Cincinnati Bengals at five and three are the worst in that division, but they looked pretty darn good last night. And I found this amusing from Tariko and Collinsworth. Yeah, the only one that Joe will never unseat as far as loyalty in this town was homegrown BNP Rose, right? I mean, that was different. But this guy is beloved here and can do no wrong and goes to bed at 8 o'clock during the season. How about that? 26 years old, is so dedicated to his craft, goes to bed at 8 p.m. As Burrow comes over before this fourth down decision, you mentioned the 8 o'clock, and he told us that last year. So you always want to go back to your notes and make sure they're still accurate. You don't want to throw bad stuff out there. So he said, Joe, you still going to sleep at 8? Well, actually, this week's 7 o'clock because he wasn't feeling all that great early in the week. The only time I ever went to bed that early when I was his age was when I was going to go out at midnight. <laughs> My only question like is, if you're going to bed at 8 o'clock and you've got a game that doesn't start or kick off until... Eight o'clock local That's time. Interesting. Is your clock? Is, is your body clock? You know, acclimated to it. Seemed like it last night. It, was pretty <laughs> it good. worked out. Yeah. It worked yeah. out okay. I, look, funny. I wish more days I could go to bed at eight o'clock. 
There's some nights. He I... does say he did. Like Joe Burrow, they did say they went on to say it's only during the season. Like right, right, outside right. the season, he's not yeah, going to bed at seven or eight o'clock. But it's still a four oh, yeah, or five so, month commitment. Uh, and to and go don't forget, they're up at like how early is he at the office? At the, five. The, I'm sure he's there most days by five yeah. ish, watching film. What do you got, Tyler? What's your good? My good is the play of C.J. Stroud last yeah. week. He, four or yesterday, four hundred and seventy yards and five touchdown passes to four different receivers as well. Might I add? So he's sprinkling the ball all over the field, and I mean, he led not one but two comeback drives for this team. And I want to give a little honorary mention to Dare Agunbowale, yeah. the running back who had to come in and kick uh, at the time. It was a go-ahead field goal to put them up 33-30. So I thought that was really cool as well. It was pretty true, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I I thought yesterday was probably the most enjoyable day of the NFL season, like, across the board. It wasn't even close. Yeah, and it started, obviously, with a good game in Germany at 8.30 in the morning. But so many good stories yesterday. On the other note of that Agunbowale kick, I don't know if you guys saw, but coming out of halftime, I think they were showing it on Red Zone. They were giving you the little heads up that, hey, we've got an injured kicker. And they showed Agunbowale attempting a kickoff and it looked atrocious but but later in the game after they took the lead the first time he kicked off and he it was actually a touch touchback but wasn't it uh offset by a penalty weren't they bumped up 15 yards because of a penalty okay, listen he's not a kicker he's a running back you know, you know kick- who our emergency yeah, kicker was mongo. it was mongo for years love it what you're straight on straight on kicker too. i, I want to talk more about him later too cj stroud um, what, what's your bat? My bat is simple. It's the Bulls red court oh. from Friday. Oh, I thought I was okay. going to get sick watching. Not just them, not just the performance on the court. Because I wanted but, to do the but, performance. So but we the could court come itself out. was just, it made me ill. It, like, it was weird when I was watching on my family room TV, uh, which is the one TV setup. It, I, it did make me dizzy. Yeah. But when I was watching it on the bigger screen in the basement, it looked better to me. So I don't know. And I, I talked to one of my buddies who went to the game, and he liked it. So I'm not sure. Maybe it, it's his good then. For me, it was my bad. Okay. It is your bad. You are correct. Um, the, Casey Johnson tweeted this out. This is the Bulls through the first couple weeks of the season, through seven games. Um, we know they're, what, two and five? Yes. So they're not good record-wise. Their offensive rating is 26th. Nice. Their defensive rating is 23rd. Their net rating is 28th. Their turnovers per game, turnovers, they lead the NBA. They're first in turnovers as far as turning it over. They're 29th in assists per game. They're 29th in pace. They're 26th in three-pointers attempted. They're 28th in three-point made. They're 21st in free throws attempted. They're 19th in free throws made. They're basically at the bottom of the barrel in almost every statistical category. What more do you need? It's early. Just give them more time. Give them more continuity. It's, it's, it's again, the sprint to 40. That's what it is. The Bulls season this year is the sprint to 40. And it is so boring. If they continue like this, though, like, do you have any faith at all? Any faith at all in them divesting before the trade deadline? Yeah, I think they will. Really? I, I think they're going to get smacked in the face where they have to. Don't you? I don't know. They should, but I don't know if they have it in them to do the right thing. And it's just a roller coaster. One game, Zach could look okay, and the next game, he has 12. 
But they've told you in the offseason by their behavior and what they did and didn't do that they believe yeah. that the best path for them is true. I mean, nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. So all of a sudden, after an offseason of doing really nothing, they're going to pivot and go in the other direction. Oh, well, we tried. I still get the tweets that say, Sylvie, stop watching the Bulls. I'll always watch Me them. Too. Like they, they're, they're still my basketball team. But... Bro, we've been watching the Bears for years. <laughs> no one ever says stop watching the Bears. What do you got, Miller? Speaking of bad football teams, we all know how bad the Las Vegas Raiders were under Josh McDaniels. But allow Jay Glazer to just let us really know how dysfunctional it was. There was such a big disconnect with the players there and Josh McDaniels that players recently were going upstairs to uh, the owner, Mark Davis, to tell them what their problems were. However, the big thing was, is last Thursday, there was this big airing of the grievance meeting and players just unloaded on Josh McDaniels from captain to captain to player to player. And finally, Josh McDaniels actually had Antonio Pierce get up and speak on behalf of him. And the coaches went, Antonio Pierce got up there. He said, look, guys, we have to have our own culture. It's got to be about culture here. And we also have to look at it. And he brought up the old Giants team that beat the Patriots, Josh McDaniels team, in the Super Bowl in 2007 season. He said, no matter who we played, we thought we could beat them. We had a game plan that we could beat them. We had to believe that. And that's not here. We have to believe it here at the Raiders. We could beat anybody. Well, he finishes up that speech. Everybody thinks they're great, except for Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels then goes over to him and says, don't ever talk about the Patriots like that. And then you really wow. saw how divided that building got. That got up to Mark Davis, and I think Mark Davis looked at him and go, okay, I'm going to choose the guy who believes that we can win every single week. What a clown. Wow. Josh McDaniels. Antonio Pierce just fired up your team that he, didn't believe in you. He doesn't know how to build relationships whatsoever. Josh McDaniels. Unbelievable. Did you guys see also that the Patriots... You know, I mean, the connection between him and the Patriots. The Patriots are five games five games under 500 for the first time since 2000. Like, the dysfunction. When you don't have Brady. Maybe it's not like Belichick's assistant. It's just life without Brady. Yeah. That, that, that's how they all look without Brady. Well, how can, how can Josh McDaniels be that, that awful on so many fronts? And then continue to coexist in New England for all of those Super Bowl crazy, titles. Yeah, and he got along great with Brady. Mm. Um, what do you got, uh, Tyler? My bad was the penalty thrown against Josh Allen. I don't know if you guys saw this on the uh, the touchdown Taunting. that he ran in when he just pointed at a guy. What are we doing? I Keep know. the flags in the pot. This yeah. has gotten so far out of hand. The officiating is ridiculous these days. Um, but, yeah, that was my bad from the week. Yeah. Let's get to the dirties coming up next. And then at 5 o'clock, we'll reset the big news of the day, which is uh, the Cubs firing David Ross and hiring Craig Council in the Bears game. Anything you want to weigh in on, 312-332-3776. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to Waddle and Sylvie. Watch us and join the chat. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago on Twitch.tv or the Twitch app. Wrapping up the good, the bad, the dirty, and then we'll take your phone calls on what the Cubs did today with the uh, council move. If you want to talk Bears, should Justin Fields play on Thursday? Matt Eberflus joined us, told us um, it's still day-to-day, and they'll know on Wednesday. I would like to give him still one more game. Get Make sure you're totally healthy, or at least healthier, than you would be on the shorter week. It's a big difference. Uh, Waddle, what's your dirty? Um, 
My dirty is is in trash and smelly trash as it is. That would be the USC defense. Did you know? And they just fired their their defensive coordinator. Their last six games, the USC defense has given up 41, 41, 48, 34, 49, and 52 points. They've lost three of their last four games. That is one of the worst defenses I've ever seen in college football history. That is beyond dirty. It is gruesome. What do you make of uh, people ripping Caleb Williams for crime? I don't care. Like, if, however, a guy wants to express himself. I'm... I'm indifferent. If you want to cry, cry. If you want to celebrate, celebrate. If you want to laugh, you want to dance, it's up to you. You do what you're going to do. I'm not going to pass judgment. Why would I care? Tyler, and you said that he was getting extra. Yeah, so this was actually going to be my dirty here. Um, So you go. There was the tweet last year when Max Duggan, I believe it was after he had lost in the Big 12 championship to Kansas State. There's a video of him at the podium crying in his press conference. And Caleb Williams just quote tweeted it saying, LOL. Now, uh, fast forward a year and you get what happened on Saturday and he's being shielded from being seen. uh, Who knows what's going on underneath the the big white placard. But then Max Duggan comes out and quote tweets him and it just says, LOL. So normally I would feel bad for people chirping at Caleb Williams for everything that was happening. But since you threw this shot across the way last year, you don't get my sympathy this year. That's very fair. Okay. Very fair. It's interesting. Um, my uh, dirty goes to the Cowboys. Um, they, like, I th- thought it was done. It was over. And then the Eagles decided to completely self-destruct on that final drive. The Cowboys had it there for them. Plenty of time. In a perfect position to score. And then the Cowboys did the Cowboys stuff. Then the Cowboys decided to say, sack, sack, sack. Yeah, you you thought you self-destructed? We're going to self-destruct even more so. And, yeah, we're going to allow a sack and then throw it just a yard short of the end zone. It was, it was a fantastic game, though. And like you said, it was the best week of the NFL of the year. And we needed a weekend like this where the games were spectacular. But still... I I could not believe that they didn't win that game. Go back to the second to last series from the Eagles as well. If you remember, the Eagles have it third and three. With a butt fumble? No, no. This that was the final drive. And and they drop back and throw a deep ball. Like this team runs the football well, and if you get the first down, right, you're going. I thought it was like a short two and a half yards, right? And the the Eagles played right into their hands, yes. and then they had the butt fumble that they yes. almost lost it. That was their and last then the, the pass interference and and all the different stuff that helped the Eagles or that helped the Cowboys. And you thought, oh my God, Dak and McCarthy are going to break through here, and then they're like, you know what? No, we're not. No, we're not. No, but I still think they were sort of happy that they were at least in the game. And didn't they do something weird. again this year? Like I th- remember, was it last year, or the year before when Dak they they mismanaged the clock, or whatever? They threw the ball to the four yard line and were hoping that CD Lamb was going to get into the oh, end zone they? as opposed to actually throwing the ball into the end zone. Mm. 
Yeah, that's so. how they were eliminated by the right. 49ers in like consecutive oh, years, yes. remember? Yeah. They spiked it with no time or something yeah. like that? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They ran a play and couldn't spike it in 17 seconds. But did you guys see the last seconds. play where yes, they threw it? Land. Like, yeah, short of he the He caught it the at the two or three yard line. Yeah, yeah. of course. What do you Instead expect? of throwing it into the end. It's it Cowboys, played, Cowboy. Dak yes. played fantastic. And then there's Stephen A. on his private jet laughing his ass off. Go ahead, Mellor. All right, this... I'll forewarn you, I know it has no material difference on how the Montez Sweat era is going to play out. But when Andrew Catalan dropped this nugget during the Bears broadcast yesterday on CBS, I had a dirty feeling in the pit of my stomach. Well, we met with Montez Sweat last night, and it was right after he'd signed his contract in the team hotel. And we said, how about where you're living? Like, what's going on with that? He said, well... I'm actually going to be renting out Chase Claypool's old who's been traded to Miami. So that's right. Montez Sweat will be paying rent to Chase Claypool. That just feels all kind of dirty to me. Out of all the places up north, (laughs) all the places. You're right about that. Hmm. Let's just distance ourselves from the Chase Claypool era. Mojo, by the way. Yes. Uh, was, Chase Claypool also caused a fumble in the early he game. He he jumped on it, but he was the reason why a fumble uh, took place. He also had a false start, if I'm not he mistaken. Did. He also had a false start, yeah. <laughs> wow. Go ahead. Uh, wrap us up here, Tyler. I had the Max Duggan then. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you, you, uh, it's good. The good, the bad, the dirty right there. Again, brought to you by Finishing Chicago. All right, uh, Bears fans, you want to talk about yesterday's game? I said earlier, and I'll, I'll reset why I don't think that Justin Fields should play on Thursday. Also, uh, was it a good or bad move on what the Cubs did, uh, today, firing David Ross and hiring Craig Council? It was a shocker. It was a stunner. I was not expecting this whatsoever. I don't know if there was one Cubs fan or reporter or anybody who was expecting this news today. It broke just around noon, maybe a little afternoon. 312-332-3776. A busy Monday. We are guest-free and we'll take your calls through the entire 5 o'clock hour.